Welcome to So Dead, Mid-Michigan's Most Wanted Podcast. I'm Jen Carpenter. And I'm Danny Fairman. Happy True Crime Tuesday. And happy Taco Tuesday, girls and guys. Hey, Danny. Yeah? I have a question for you. Okay. Did you watch America's Most Wanted growing up? <laughs> Who didn't? Right? I... It scared the shit out of me, though. It like, scared the shit out of me, too. Like, Unsolved Mysteries scared me on one level. Mm-hmm. And we know how I like to confuse these two. Yeah. <laughs> America's Most Wanted scared me because it was, I, I don't, it was just so real. And you always thought you were going to see the face of somebody yes. you knew. And I have to say out of, you know, we talk a lot about how Rescue 911, Unsolved Mysteries, America's Most Wanted all kind of aired during mm-hmm. the same time frame mm-hmm. um, and kind of really turned us into what we are today. I think uh-huh. Rescue 911 got to me the most, but I definitely... uh Paranoid, yes, crazy people. Yeah, there's one def- episode of Rescue 911 that scared the pushiters out of me. But yeah, I have one that scarred me for life that affects <sighs> the way I parent to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we'll do an episode on Rescue 911 okay, yeah. one of these days. We should. We'll talk about that. So America's Most Wanted premiered on Fox on February seventh, nineteen eighty eight. It ran for twenty three years before being canceled in two thousand and eleven. That's a lot. It was. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. It was hosted by John Walsh, the father of Adam Walsh, who was a six-year-old boy that was abducted from a Sears department store in Florida in 1981 and was found murdered two weeks later. No one has ever been convicted for that murder. Um, So we were both born in 1980, Mm -hmm. you know, 29 years ago. Yep. And... um, so we grew up in like the post Adam Walsh going yes. to the grocery store with your parents world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that I was a wanderer. And so that <laughs> I was fear too. was put in me very young. That that may be the first like true crime case that I was ever mm-hmm. aware of because, um, you know, you can't run away from mommy. You can't wander no. off in the store. Little kids get taken and little kids mm-hmm. get murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and before Adam Walsh, that didn't really happen. Right. Um, and it, that case was the catalyst for, I know we've all seen the stickers in the store windows, the code Adam. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in a store when a code Adam goes no. off? No. I have a couple times. Oh, my God. Um, a code Adam, if if you guys aren't familiar, it's basically when a child goes missing in a public space, like a grocery store or a department store, um, they lock the store down. They call out the description of the child over the intercom, and basically every staff member, every customer is supposed to be looking for this child, and nobody can get in or out of the store until they're found. Um and I've been in a store a couple times oh. and had it happen. And always it was, you know, a kid hiding in a rack or took I off used to, to the toys that. or was mm-hmm. in the bathroom and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it always turned out okay. But just that initial fear, just hearing those words and mm-hmm. knowing where they came from and what they meant, like it just makes you instantly sick to your stomach. It's oh, so scary. Sure. I've like found kids at the store before. Just random kids. Uh-huh. And I've, you know, done the, where's your mommy? Where's your daddy? And tried to help them find. And you always feel like a weirdo doing that because you don't want, like for me, I don't want somebody to think that I'm trying to take them. Exactly. Like I have that, I have that suspicion of people. Exactly. 
But I'm a kind soul. I'm not trying to take your kid. I already got well, and so am I got to take care of myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can barely keep track of my own. Right. Um, but I mean, as women, I think we're in a, a, a more safe and sound position to do that. I mean, a guy right. saying, hey, let take my hand and let's go look for mommy. That's not. Sure. That's, that shouldn't. Which is so sad because like. My husband would do that, and exactly. he's a kind person Mine as too. well. And, and then they'd both wind up in the back of a cop car, and right. it's not. And when they're really trying to, it's the village taking care of your children, and they're trying to be a part of that village. Exactly. This is why they make child leashes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Never. <laughs> um, today, we're going to talk about the local America's Most Wanted cases that really stuck with us. So I'm, I'm going to go first today. Okay. Um, because mine's kind of, um, mine's a little different. I'm cheating a little bit because the story that was featured on America's Most Wanted didn't actually take place in Michigan. What? Um, but I didn't either. Well, um, you'll see. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do it. you remember in episode three when I casually mentioned that I had once called in a yes. tip to America's Most Wanted? Yes, I've been waiting weeks <laughs> for this story. I'm well, so this excited. this is that story. Um, so when I was... And this, I may just burst into fits of laughter because this initial part of it is so ridiculous to begin uh-huh. with. Um, when I was 19, I worked at the front desk at a motel slash hotel in I Lansing. I love so much that you were adult age and not a child. <laughs> so this is already funny to me. <laughs> oh, you thought I called as I a kid? No, no. As a child. Nope. Oh, okay. Oh my God. I'm excited. I was 1920. Um, and I worked in a motel that shall remain nameless, but I I have to explain the setup of it so that you kind of understand. It was, um, a hotel. Was it a by the hour hotel? No. Oh, okay. You actually kind of, because you could do daytime. That's gross. I don't want to think about it. Bogue. You didn't clean the rooms. I didn't clean the rooms. No, I worked the front desk by myself. So this hotel, was set off the road. It it was on a main road, Uh but it was set way back off the road and surrounded by woods and fields. So very secluded. Um, And there was no interior. It was a hotel that is accessed from outside, access Mm. to each room. Mm -hmm. So the front office was just one very small room um, that people came into to check in. There was no food. There was no... Sure, no continental no. breakfast. There was a mini, tiny, baby-sized lobby, and that was it. And everything else was outside. And for me to get to any other part of the hotel, I had to walk out of the lobby and go outside. So there oh. was no interior. Okay. And this is important. The vending the machine was outside? And I worked... The ice buckets were the outside? The ice machine, I don't... <laughs> There might have been ice buckets. I stayed there was in an some ice of those machine outside. My, as a kid, there was um, a couple of vending machines. Those were kind of right down in the middle of the building. And there was a laundry room, but again, that was another room that was off on its own and okay. only accessible from an outside door. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked the night shift. Oh, you, like this is like you're setting the scene for <laughs> a scary movie, right? Three thirty to eleven p.m. as a nineteen-year-old woman. By myself, the only employee at this hotel, mm. sat back in the woods. A yeah. cheap hotel. A, a, a budget. No, a budget hotel. Sounds super safe. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there were some things that went down while I worked there. Okay. Um, two that come to mind. One, um, 
I was working the front desk by myself and the police showed up and they made me take them down to the laundry room and dig through the, uh, God, I want to gag. They made me dig through the, um, buckets, not buckets, those big laundry bins. You oh, know, like for all the bedding and sheets? Of dirty sheets. Ugh. Looking for any with blood on them because a woman had reported a rape at the hotel. Oh. So that was nasty and horrible and traumatizing. Um, another time I got to work and as I got out of my car, I noticed, um, I could see like movement in the woods, in the fields, but like <laughs> a lot of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I walk into the office, and when I first got there, my manager and the person I was taking shift over would be there, but they left within about a half hour, and then it was just me. Um, so I walk in, and they're like, go to go inside, and the door's locked. And so they had to unlock the door to let me in. This mm-hmm. was before cell phones, so I guess they couldn't have really alerted me to anything going on. Sure. But the police actually had the hotel staked out because someone had just someone that was staying at the hotel had just robbed the gas station that was right nearby oh. and then come back to the hotel. And the police, it was the police that I saw in the woods with their guns, like stalking and, like, and staking scary. out the building. <laughs> that's scary. So it was a pretty eventful job. Yeah. The scariest thing about the hotel. Um, so I'm in the office at the front end and there's room 105. So the odd numbers were on the front side of the building, Mm -hmm. um, which was my side. And then the even numbers were on the back side. So room 105 would have been three rooms down from the office Mm. because there's 103, 101, 103, 105. Um, and so anything I had to go do, if I had to go get someone towels, if I wanted something from the vending machine, Anything I had to do, I had to walk past room 105. Okay. Well, on one of my very first days, uh, one of my coworkers told me, uh, you have to be uh, careful of the guy in 105. He lived there. Oh. He paid a daily rate of like $36 a day. That's expensive. That's in the 1990s and early 2000s. That was pretty expensive. Yeah. Um. He had been there for a couple of years at least before I started. Um, <laughs> and I won't say his name for privacy's sake. We'll just use sure. his, his last name. And this was his real last name, but talk about boogeyman, um, Mr. Myers. Um, <laughs> Did he so have it, a white mask? Kind of. Isn't that who wears the mask? <laughs> yes. Mike Myers? But kind of, okay. sadly. Um, so, yeah, no, Michael Myers. Mike Myers is Shrek. So Yeah, he's Wayne's World. Yes. Party time. I just abbreviate everybody's name. Yes. So (laughs) be careful of room 105. If you have to walk past his room, jangle your keys so that he knows that you're coming so you don't startle him. Saying Uh, that now is so backwards because I was letting him know I was coming. Um, So the way the rooms were set up, there was just a small skinny sidewalk. There was the one door to each room and then one big picture window. Mm -hmm. So I had to walk within inches of his door and his window. And he had plastic over the window from the inside. Like you could see the the plastic. Mm -hmm. Um, Every time I walked by, he would like flip the curtain over just a tiny bit. So I could see like the so tiniest like, sliver of his eye, but he would always <laughs> look out. And I'm he was doing that in my head right now. Right. And he was terrifying. Um I met him one time. 
one time in person. Um, so I got to work and someone was like, um, so Mr. Myers has some mail. Um, oh, 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 I forgot to tell you about his car. He had a car. He didn't take it. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't leave. It was in the same spot the whole time I worked there. But it was a straight up 1970s mustard brownie gold sedan uh, like a long child car. predator car. Yes. Exactly oh, yeah, yeah. what you would think like a child molester would drive. The car yes. itself was creepy. Um so according to the people that worked at the hotel, he never left the room. Um, people, like, someone brought him. This was before shipped, but someone brought him, <laughs> like, groceries, uh-huh. and he never left. He was, like, he the had, inventor of ship. He had a micro right. He's the reason there's a ship. Uh-huh. People like him. Um, he had, like, one of those little single stovetop things. He had a microwave. He had like a mini a Bunsen fridge. Like burner? Yeah, and he did not leave that room. He never wanted anything. He never came, you know, like, they weren't allowed to go in and clean it. He, he never came out and no one ever went in. Huh. So this is super creepy, right? Mm-hmm. And all true, I promise. Um, I wasn't saying that sarcastically. This is really all true, <laughs> right, I right. promise. Uh. Um, so uh, one day I'm at work and someone says, we've got mail for Mr. Myers. And it was from the Secretary of State. And uh, he had renewed his driver's license. And he'd done it by mail. And so it, he hadn't come and picked it up during the day, and they were like, well, he'll probably come and get it tonight. There was a point in the evening, I can't remember if it was 8 or 9 p.m., but I was allowed to lock the lobby door and then only operate, like, through a window where oh, people mm-hmm. checked in, which was for my safety. But I still had to leave all the time to go get people things, right. so wasn't Weird. that safe. Right. Um, and so I'm, you know, there by myself in the dark in this cheap little motel secluded off the road Mm -mm. and the doorbell like jingles and I look up and there is the pastiest palest tall white White guy masked with Michael Myers he was so pale it could have been a white mask Mr. Myers he's in a turtle black turtleneck um he had the hair you know the bald on the top and the little bit on the sides mm-hmm. with the saddest tiny comb over you've literally ever seen um and like the 1970s gigantic super thick glasses 100% knew it was him i had never seen his face before i'd been there maybe a year but I you had- recognize that eyeball I recognize that one sliver of an eyeball. No, I just, I felt it like in my Mm -hmm, stomach. I absolutely knew it was him. And he was polite. You know, I went to the window and I'm like shaking because I'm terrified. This is the boogie. This is the boogeyman to me. I'm picturing like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Not that old. He was maybe 40s, 50s at the time. Okay. 40s. I want to say 40s. Like a beadneck. Beatneck. How do you say that? Beatneck? He just, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? No. They always wore like the black turtlenecks. Kind of. He looked it, He looked exactly how I thought he was going to look. Okay. And this was my boogeyman. I was terrified of this man every night that I was at work. Sure. What's he doing? He's two walls away from me. Am I safe? Is this the night that I walk past his room and he opens the door and snatches me into his room? Right. Did I jingle my keys loud enough? Oh, my God. <laughs> jingle your damn keys. Make sure that he knows you're coming so he has time to prepare. Right. Sharpen those knives. Oh, my God. So he was polite. 
Um, he was very quiet. He just kind of, um, yes, I'm in room 105. I believe I have some mail. Very soft-spoken. I have never been so creeped out in my whole life. Yeah. Okay? I'm creeped out right now. So I gave him his mail. That's the only time I ever saw him in person the whole time I worked there. So working nights at this little yeah. hotel. Yeah. Lots of times I had nothing to do. This was before technology became a thing. And so I had one of, do you remember those little portable black and white TVs that had like a radio dial on them? Yeah. And you had like the longest antenna yes. you had to stretch out. Yes. Uh -huh. I had one of those. Nice. We had one too. They I called them, uh, um, it wasn't a Walkman. It a was a Watchman. Watchman. So right. I had one of those. It got one channel. Fox. Oh, so on Fox. That's what you should be watching on Saturday yourself. nights. What was on? America's Most Wanted. America's Most Wanted. So I'm a 19-year-old girl in a shady motel by myself at night watching America's Most oh Wanted. Oh, my God. So <clears throat> one night, I'm watching America's Most Wanted on my little portable black and white TV. And one of the cases that they feature is about a serial killer from California. <laughs> they don't know the man's identity, but they show stop a few different police sketches. And I immediately think to myself, those look like Mr. Myers. <laughs> and then as I'm watching the episode, I realize that the physical description matches. The age is about right. And one of the more obscure clues even incorporated his name somehow. And I cannot for the life of me remember. It was like a um, restaurant they thought that he might have frequented or one of the locations where he attacked one of his victims. But his name, his first and his last name, were incorporated somehow. <laughs> and they were talking about how he might be under an alias now and he might be in hiding. Um, and as I'm watching this, it's 10, 11 at night. There's nobody else around. And this man that I am now convinced is a serial killer is two doors down from me. Not just a serial killer, but one of the most notorious serial killers in American Stop. history. He is believed to have killed anywhere from 5 to 37 people in California's Bay Area in the 1960s and 70s. No. He is best known for the cryptic... <laughs> taunting letters that he would send to police and reporters. <laughs> Any idea who I'm talking about? <laughs> oh my God, I cannot stop. Do Zodiac you, Killer. I thought Mr. Myers was the Zodiac Oh my killer. God, that's amazing. Can you imagine if he was? Like, you would have been like America's hero. <laughs> right, this little 19-year-old girl working oh at a CD motel. Cracked the case. <laughs> so Zodiac is one of the biggest unsolved murder cases in American history. Do we need a <laughs> Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. Okay. Zodiac is one of the biggest unsolved murder cases in American history. Though his letters, through his letters to authorities, the serial killer claimed responsibility for 37 murders, but only seven victims have been confirmed. Between December 1968 and October 1969, an unknown white male attacked four men and three women between the ages of 16 and 29, two of whom survived. 
His first confirmed victims were 17-year-old David Faraday and 16-year-old Betty Lou Jensen, who he shot and killed on Lake Herman Road in Benicia, California on December 20th, 1968. The young couple was on their first official date, and Lake Herman Road was known as the local Lover's Lane. Shortly after 11 p.m., passersby found Betty Lou and David's lifeless bodies beside David's bullet-ridden station wagon. Betty Lou was pronounced dead at the scene with five gunshot wounds to her back. David was still breathing, but near death. He'd been shot in the head, and he died a short time later. Six months later, on July 4, 1969, Zodiac struck again. 22-year-old Darlene Farron, a young wife and mother, was parked in her Corvair at Blue Rock Springs in Vallejo, I'm sorry, Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo, California, with her 19-year-old lover, Michael, okay, I'm going to say Magow, but I just want you to know that my desire is to say Magoo because that's what it looks like. <laughs> that's not his name. M A G E A U. So I'm going to say Magow, oh. but I don't know if that's right. It might really be it Magoo. Might, it might be Magoo. Okay. Mr. Magoo. Um, a, another vehicle pulled into the lot around midnight. The driver got out of the car, shined a bright light at the couple, then began firing into the car with a 9mm handgun. Around 12.40 a.m., a call was made to 911. The caller said, I want to report a murder. You, if you will go one mile east on Columbus Parkway, you will find kids in a brown car. They were shot with a 9mm Luger. I also killed those kids last year. Goodbye. And hung up. Police raced to the scene and found the young couple critically wounded but alive. Darlene had been shot several times and died at the hospital. Michael, who was shot in the jaw, shoulder, and leg, survived. Just a couple months after that, another victim, another couple fell victim to the Zodiac Killer. September 29th, 1969, college students Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard were enjoying a day at the beach at Lake Berryessa near Napa, California, when a hooded man with a gun approached and said he had just escaped from prison and needed money and a car to escape to Mexico. He forced the couple to lie face down on the ground, then tied them up using clothesline for what they hoped would just be a robbery. But he didn't really want their money. Without warning, he pulled out a large knife and stabbed Brian six times in the back. He then stabbed Cecilia ten times. At 7.40 p.m., the killer again called 911 to report a double murder, directed police to the scene of the crime, and said, I'm the one who did it. Cecilia died in the hospital two days later, but Brian survived. Less than two weeks later, Zodiac claimed, I cannot talk at all anymore. (laughs) I've given up on speaking. Less than two weeks later, Zodiac claimed his last confirmed victim. He shot and killed 28-year-old cab driver Paul Stein at an intersection in a San Francisco neighborhood. It is believed that the Zodiac killer walked right past police officers as he fled the scene, but due to the 911 dispatcher mistakenly identifying the shooter as a black male when the call went out, the police did not stop him and they would never get close to him again. The murder of Paul Stein was initially considered a robbery until the San Francisco Chronicle received an envelope. <laughs> there it is. An Part envelope. Of the, um, got an envelope. Encyclopedia. An envelope. Uh, an envelope with a letter from Zodiac claiming responsibility for the killing and a blood-stained piece of Paul Stein's shirt. Zodiac is a suspect in several other murders, and according to him, he killed a total of 37 people. 
Until that last attack, he definitely seemed to have an M.O., young couples in the throes of passion. And he was definitely more violent with the women than the men. He shot Betty Lou Jensen five times, only shot David Faraday once. And in the two subsequent attacks, the women died from the brutality of his attacks, but both of the men survived. So there was something about a pretty young girl in love that really seemed to set him off. Mm -hmm. So back to me. The CD Motel. <laughs> and Mr. Myers, who to me is definitely the Zodiac killer at this oh point. God. I thought for a while <laughs> about what to do. And then I called in a tip to America's Most Wanted tip line. God. I gave my personal information, provided my tip, and hung up feeling pretty silly. But then the next day, I got a phone call from the FBI. Oh, my God. They wanted to talk to me in person. So we set up a time for a couple of agents to come to my crappy little one-bedroom apartment later that week. <laughs> I remember I made them a pot of coffee, which I don't even drink coffee, so I have no <laughs> idea why I had a coffee pot, uh, but whatever. Um, so anyway, these two guys show up. One of them was older and very, very cop-like. Uh, the other was younger and gave off the whole I'm the new kid around here vibe, um, which was fine. I was, again, only 19. Um, I invited them in, offered them some really shittily made coffee. They declined. Um, they complimented my son's Little Tykes football toy box that was in my living room. <laughs> um, and then we got down to business. The younger one says, ma'am, can you tell us why you think your hotel guest is the Zodiac Killer? Oh, my God. <laughs> And when he said it like that, I just knew I was an idiot. Like, what's even <laughs> happening right now? Oh, my God. So they asked me some questions. I told them <laughs> everything I knew about Mr. Myers. And then they just broke my true crime-loving heart and said, well, we're pretty sure this guy is not the Zodiac Killer. Uh, but they were interested in where he was getting this cash to pay for his nightly room. Oh, no. Since he did not leave the hotel ever. Um, so they said they were going to look into him and call me if they had more questions. I never heard from them again. But I did have to go to work that afternoon, and I was terrified that Mr. Myers was going to know <laughs> that I had called the FBI on him and accused him of being the Zodiac. Oh, my God. If he was just some paranoid person trying to live in hiding, the FBI coming after him would surely not be a good thing, right? Oh like God. he's hiding from Big right. Brother and all of a sudden the FBI is at Shows his up. door. Right. Like I don't, I felt actually pretty bad about that. Um, but nothing happened um, that day or any other day and nothing more came of the situation to my knowledge. A couple of weeks later though, I arrived at work one day and that creepy-ass car of Mr. Myers was gone. No. Um, I realized it instantly because it never moved. So right. it was a huge piece of the landscape of my job uh -huh. missing. Um, so I realized it. I freaked out. Um, just the thought of him out driving around in that car <laughs> made me sick to my stomach. Um, I ran into the office. I asked a coworker where he was, and they said that a tow truck had come to pick up his car. I have no idea if it was impounded by the FBI or if he was having repairs done, but it was back in its regular spot a couple of days later. I left that job a few months later, um, and then that was the end of it for me. So a few years ago, I was telling my Zodiac story to a friend, 
and it got me thinking about um, Mr. Myers. Mm-hmm. So the next time I was on that side of town, I drove through the parking lot of the motel, and his car was gone. Um, I don't know what that means, but it for sure gave me the shivers. Right. And that is the story of the time <laughs> I almost caught the Zodiac Killer, oh who, God. by the way, still has not been caught to this day. Police believe he was in his late 20s or early 30s during the murders, so he would be in his late 70s, early 80s now. Officials are hoping to solve the case using familial DNA, which is a fairly new breakthrough in forensic science. Familial DNA is what they used to solve another big case recently, Mm -hmm. the Golden State Killer case. So hopefully, even if Zodiac isn't around anymore, answers to his identity are not too far off. Oh, my God. That was amazing. I can't follow that up. I can't. <laughs> you have to. I think oh yours, is a, yours is a more true crimey based one than a, I'm a neurotic freak one. Right. Yeah. I have no personal involvement in this one <laughs> at all. But did you call the FBI? Nope. I never called anybody on this. So I'm covering one of a gentleman. This aired on June 16th, 2001. It was season 14, episode 38. Um, I, I said gentlemen, and I take that back. <laughs> you sure are no gentlemen. <laughs> you are no gentlemen here. Uh, Dean Parker was one of the biggest drug traffickers in the Detroit area. Uh-oh. He had many top associates, including a Detroit police officer, Michael Martin, Dean's wife, Kimberly, and a top national sports agent, William Tank Black. You are pissing off some powerful people right now. By using their names? Young woman. Me? Yeah, you better watch your back. Yeah, these are all in articles. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, they all helped with the laundering of money. In March of 1998, Dean and his wife were under indictment in Detroit for cocaine distribution and money laundering. Dean was tall, handsome, and had an athletic build. He was from a nice middle-class family, but currently lived a very upscale lifestyle in their mansion that included a man-made lake. Oh. So he was living large. Yeah. That cocaine was bringing in some the As big As it bucks. will do until you get caught. Right. Agents were attempting to arrest him when he led them on a high-speed chase through the suburbs of Detroit, reaching speeds at 100 miles per hour. Oh, my gosh. He successfully outran the police, and him and his wife, their four children, loaded a private jet owned by Tank, who is the sports agent, okay, and flew to Jamaica. Jamaica man. Yes. They pick up aliases and come back to the United States shortly after. Why would you come back? I don't know. I would just stay in Jamaica. Right? (laughs) It's warm all the time. Right? You get, well, more drugs are legal there. Oh, so he just couldn't make enough money. So he couldn't make any money. (laughs) (laughs) In July of 2000, Sports Illustrated magazine published an article about Tank and his affiliation with Dean Parker. The Parkers were living in an upscale neighborhood in North Richland Hills, Texas, when the article came out. They were quickly recognized by their neighbors and fled. So they fled Detroit. Went to Jamaica. Went to Jamaica. Came back to Texas. Fled Texas. Where did they go? Now, on September 13th, 2001, an employee of Beverly Hills 
business recognized Kimberly from the June 16th episode of America's Most Wanted. She goes on the America's Most Wanted website to verify and that it's her and calls in the tip line like you so have done. <laughs> I have done. Uh-huh. I didn't go on the website, though. I called them. <laughs> you didn't even bother to verify. <laughs> I mean, I was positive but we didn't that have- it was him. And, this was well, right yeah, around, this the, same around the same time. Yeah, yeah. It was like 99, 2000. Yep. Um, the internet existed. I just didn't have it. I was poor. Yeah, not many people did, actually. I mean, these people lived in Beverly Hills. Oh, okay. So. They mm. had the internet. Right. I bet they had those big Zach Morris phones, too. Yes, I bet they did. <laughs> Police arrested Kimberly Parker at a Beverly Hills salon. So now <clears throat> I'm looking at this going, wow, that's... You know, September 13th, 2001, the episode aired in June. You know, that's pretty good recollection. And then I started thinking about it. Oh my gosh, this was September 13th, 2001. Two days Nobody was September focusing 11th. on anything yeah. other than... September 11th. September 11th. The original. So the fact that this person was like, I remember something from two months ago or three months ago. Yeah. And... Right after the biggest tragedy in American history. And I feel like the way my heart was at that time, I would have just been like, you know what? It's okay. Right. Right. It's all right. We were the most, it was the most loving time in our country, I think. Yes. So it's just very interesting to me to think about that mindset back then, because you weren't thinking of any other criminal other than, you know, Zodiac Killer, of course. (laughs) In your case. Zodiac killer is always on the mind. <laughs> um, okay, so then police go to arrest Dean, and he had gone to Las Vegas, and were un- they were unable to track him down. So he's like the great escape artist here. Yeah, he's like Leonardo DiCaprio in what's yes. that? Catch Me If You Can. Yes. I swear to God, I love that Leonardo must have been DiCaprio. made after him. I swear. Super sidebar. Really exciting news that yes. we touched on in episode one. I know what you're going to say. When we talked to Jeff Mudgett about mm-hmm. the Scorsese and DiCaprio H.H. H. Holmes, they just announced that instead of making a movie, they're turning it into an entire Hulu series. I'm so excited I'm for this. so excited. And I am so gunning to be Jeff Mudgett's plus one to the premiere. It's my Do campaign. It. We have to make it happen, guys. Somebody okay. think up a good hashtag for that. Gen B plus one. <laughs> no, that's shitty. What? Gen B plus one. Gen B the plus one. Oh, Gen B plus one. I don't know. We'll I think of know. something. Yeah, we got to think of something creative. Okay. You got ideas. Send them to us. Thank you. Um, so September 22nd, 2001, Dean shows up at a nightclub in St. Louis, Missouri. Dean and another guy were involved in a shootout with off-duty officers who were working security. For what? Now, if you were like wanted, wouldn't you be like, no shootouts for me? No shootouts for me today. I'm no cool. illegal activity. Right. I'm going to lay low. Right. I'm just like, you moron. Um, he was shot in the leg, but of course managed to get away. Of course. With his accomplice and another man in a pickup truck. I wonder if they came to my CD hotel. It's possible. I don't think so. <laughs> um, after a high-speed chase, the truck flips over, and of course Dean runs away it's into away. the nearby woods. Only to be sniffed out by police canine. Because he's bleeding. Right. Dean, you weren't thinking. No. Uh, through this whole thing. Um, he was arrested, but under the alias Christopher Bowie. 
So the police have him, but they don't really know who they have. Okay, but if I was going to use an alias, I might use Bowie. <laughs> right? That's I pretty think badass. that's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the police take him to a, a nearby hospital to be treated for the gunshot wound and now dog bites. <laughs> Shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the next day, he escapes the hospital only wearing the hospital gown. That's not conspicuous at all. Not at all. Mm-mm. He goes to a nearby cab company and offers $100 for a ride to the north to the north end of St. Louis. Um, the day after this, Dean is tracked down in Florissant, Missouri. I don't know. I don't know. Never been to Missouri. That's I don't know that time. if I'm saying that right. Um, he was tracked down in a home. He was probably broken to the house and right. They called nine one one. Um, the police come in. They swarm the house, but he runs out of the house he armed with right. a forty five caliber handgun. Unreal. Uh huh. He tries to carjack a woman, but the she tiger she is doesn't nice. allow it, and he fails. Not today, sir. Not today. So he runs to a nearby house where he takes a 27-year-old woman hostage mm. in the bathroom. So now this is all after the airing of America's Most Wanted. <laughs> so he's already been on America's Most Wanted. Right, and now like... So what's the date? What date are we on here? Do we know? Da, 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 probably September 24th, So I this think? is all still, again, I mean, September 11th mm-hmm. was such a traumatic day, event, time, for months and months, we were just a different country. So Mm -hmm. how traumatizing for all of these people that crossed paths with him during this time that were already so probably vulnerable and Mm -hmm. raw to have to go through something so awful. Exactly. You're a shitty person, Dean. Yeah. No gentleman at all. (laughs) You are not a gentleman. Um, So while he takes her hostage in the bathroom, he has her sit on his lap. Hmm. While reading Psalm 23 from the Bible. What? He has her read it to him. Yeah. That sounds creepy. He says he's ready to surrender, then quickly changes his mind uh, and shoots yeah. himself in the head. <gasps> While she was still sitting on his lap. While she was sitting on his oh lap. Oh, my God. She got so much brain matter on her. <laughs> yes. She probably did. Oh. I know. So gross. So that's the story of Dean Parker. Holy shit. I know, right? And the the weird thing is, is you know how America's Most Wanted always had like the big story and then another good story, but then a really small snippet story? Yes. I bet anything this was like the small snippet story. Because yes, not much had happened. He was... It all happened after the story. Yeah. But man, you know how they ran those updates on America's uh, Most Wanted? That was, a, great that was episode. a hell of an update. Right? Wow. Crazy, right? It is crazy. Super duper crazy. I was shocked when I read that one. Yes, for sure. I thought, why don't I know this story? Yeah, I'd never heard that. I know. And he was from Michigan. Uh-huh. All the crazy ones are. I but know. guess who was not? The Zodiac. The Zodiac. <laughs> Nope, nope. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for making us a part of your day. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at So Dead Podcast. You can also find us online at SoDeadPodcast.com and email us your feedback and story ideas and your hashtags at SoDeadPodcast at gmail.com. Now get out there and shine. You magnificent what the fucks.